Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, patients, families, colleagues, and curious folk to the PM&R Report. Our podcast is brought to you by the University of Texas at Houston in conjunction with McGovern Medical School and TIRR Memorial Hermann Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. We bring you another segment of medical explanation, reviews of current literature, expert opinions, debates, and just plain interesting stuffs. Hello and welcome to the McGovern Medical School Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation podcast. This is Ellie Simicella, fourth year resident at the Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation Residency at McGovern Medical School. Here today with Dr. Monica A. Perez. She is a professor at the Department of Neurological Surgery at the Miami Project to Cure Paralysis at the University of Miami. She also holds a secondary faculty position with the Department of Physical Therapy and with the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation where she studies mechanisms involved in the control of movement in healthy humans and in individuals with spinal cord injury. She recently presented to our 2018 Grand Rounds Distinguished Lectureship Series titled Neuroplasticity Following Spinal Cord Injury. Good morning, Dr. Perez. How are you doing? Good morning. Thanks for having me here. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, yes, I'm a professor at the Department of Neurological Surgery at the University of Miami uh, and the Miami Project to Cure Paralysis. So I received my PhD in physical therapy at the University of Miami. Uh, also, I did a postdoctoral fellowship in neurophysiology at the University of Copenhagen and then at NANDS. Uh, and I'm currently faculty uh, in Miami. What brought you to the Miami Project? Well, it's interesting because I, I did my PhD at the Miami Project, so I left for more training, and then I had a faculty position at the University of Pittsburgh, uh, and then we were recruited back to the Miami Project by the scientific director, Dr. Dalton Dietrich. Um, it's an amazing institution uh, where uh, people is... Uh, have a goal of uh, curing paralysis or understanding and improving the life of those individuals who suffer from injuries to the spinal cord. So that for me and for, for our group is uh, motivating and it's one of the goals of actually what we do in the lab. Okay. And today you talked at our PMNR Grand Rounds about neuroplasticity following spinal cord injury. What is neuroplasticity and why is it so important? Okay, that, that's an interesting question because the, the definition of neuroplasticity, maybe it will depend on who is giving, giving the answer. I, I think uh, there are many different ways of defining neuroplasticity. For us, neuroplasticity means a change in transmission or in excitability in a pathway. Uh, could be a descending motor pathway, could be a spinal uh, pathway. And, and these changes in excitability usually go together with changes in voluntary motor output. That is why we think neuroplasticity that is induced by using 
in our case, non-invasive stimulation is quite important for the recovery of function. Um, but also it's important to understand some of the reorganization that happens in the central nervous system after the injury. And that is also part of neuroplasticity. Uh, so when we understand that reorganization, which is neuroplasticity, we can use those changes to try to develop strategies that might enhance voluntary motor output after the injury. Yeah, and today you talked about spike time dependent plasticity. Can you explain and how that would help us with our spinal cord injury individuals? Yes, this is one of the most exciting protocols that we're testing in the laboratory right now. So we use very basic principles that are coming from animal experiments animal studies and what we try to do is basically to uh, 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 engage the system, engage those residual connections that are still present after an injury to the spinal cord using this uh, principle non-invasively. So for that we use transcranial magnetic stimulation to elicit descending polys that go down to the spinal cord. Uh, we stimulate the peripheral nerve by using electrical stimulation. So antidromically, we can stimulate uh, those spinal motor neurons. And then we play with the timing of those stimuli to try to generate uh, uh, rules based on principles of spike time independent plasticity. We think that uh, this protocol might help us to engage those residual connections and enhance voluntary motor output. And we have a little bit of evidence uh, for that. So on a practical level, uh, when you apply this to a patient with spinal cord injury, how long would you say it would last? That's a good question. So I think that depends on the on the duration of the stimulation. We have published a couple of protocols where we uh, studies where we stimulate in a single session. So the stimulation can last from 17 minutes to 30, 35 minutes, and we can enhance voluntary motor output temporarily. Currently, we are using the same principle for 10 sessions of stimulation, and we can see that the effects are a little bit more pronounced and last for longer period of time and therefore since this is a quite safe protocol we, we are enrolling people right now onto a large larger clinical trial where we stimulate for approximately two months uh, and we expect we don't know it's too early to we don't still have no, no result uh, we expect that this might result in more uh, improvements in performance that will last for a longer period of time Okay, so would you say that your hypothesis is that it will last like um, a change will permanently occur or is it something that they have to keep on having um, the therapy ongoing throughout their life? That is a very difficult question. I, question. I, think, uh, I think for now what we can say is that if we use this protocol we can engage those pathways to a better extent. And we have good evidence that without this stimulation, it's more difficult to engage those pathways. Uh, what we know is that if we combine this stimulation with exercise, patients improve a little bit better. But uh, it's too early to understand. We, we still don't know if you need to do this continuously or if there will be a time where hopefully we can generate some structural plasticity, not only temporary changes in excitability, that might help individuals to regain function more permanently. And you touched about uh, exercise, so that goes to the role of therapy. Um, how would you think that would affect 
the results of Currently, I think therapy is quite important. Currently, we are combining the stimulation with exercise. We have good evidence from our basic neurophysiological studies that when you use this spike time independent plasticity during voluntary activity, the effects are uh, stronger. Uh, we have been able to detect that more people respond to the stimulation. Uh, so based on those results, we are using our protocol with exercise. Okay? Uh, uh, so individuals come to the laboratory, receive approximately 30 minutes of this uh, more specialized stimulation, and then they exercise also. Okay. And then would you envision it something that you can do at home, or would they have to come into the lab or um, an office to get this for, for now, this is experimental, but the goal of the, of the protocol, and we are working already in some strategies to uh, develop some uh, uh, devices that individuals can use and take home uh, to actually uh, be able to generate and use this principle on a daily basis also. We're not, we're not there yet, but the goal of course, is to generate a device that can help us to induce this type of plasticity in a home environment. That's wonderful. I know a lot of people would look forward to doing that. Uh, do you have any other comments? No, I thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, as we close another session of our podcast, I would like to make it clear that we make every effort to broadcast correct information. We will double check facts and assertions, but we do ask our listeners to realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and an art. One physician may have an entirely different way of doing things from another, and any views expressed are solely those of the person expressing them. We welcome any comments, suggestions, and correction of errors. We do not accept any money, services, or sponsorship otherwise from pharmaceutical, supplement, or device companies. By listening to this podcast or reading this blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you may be treating consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall McGovern Medical School, any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of UT Health be held responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast or blog. We are here to stimulate the dialogue. We are here to get the wheels spinning. We are here to spark new questions in the field of medicine. Thank you for listening.